Hello, this is Technology Corner for the week of July 9th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Starting this morning with Windows Media Player version 11, which is out in beta, Microsoft has improved the looks of the Windows Media Player. And one of the things they've done that I rather like is to take kind of a different approach to the way the program installs. So many media players, when they install, automatically assume that you want them to be the player for every possible thing. This time around, Microsoft has completely avoided that kind of behavior, and for that, Microsoft deserves a thank you. Thank you, Microsoft. And the Windows Media Player is something that you're going to need to have on your Windows machine to play Windows Media Files, files that are specifically designed by Microsoft. However, it's not the program I'm going to use to play music. Apple's iTunes may not be the best Windows application ever, as Steve Jobs likes to call it, but it certainly is a good program, and it's my choice when I'm listening to music or to podcasts or pretty much anything other than a specific Windows media file. Keep in mind, this is beta software, and you will see the occasional crash. That's typical with any application, beta or not. And another reason you might want to take a look at the Windows Media Player version 11 beta, and another reason you might want to take a look at installing the Windows Media Player version 11 beta is it'll give you a bit of an insight into what Microsoft Office 2007 is going to look like. When I installed the Windows Media Player, the application offered to take a look at all of the standard locations for media files. Well, I don't keep my media files in the standard location. I have a specific drive that is set aside for music files. I had to tell it to look there. There are about 15,000 of them, and it was able to import all of them except a few hundred protected files that I'd gotten from Apple's iTunes music site. In some cases, the Windows Media Player is able to go onto the web and look around and find an album cover, so if you are playing a particular album you'll actually see the album cover. That's kind of nice, but probably not a real big deal. Another cool feature that Microsoft has added to this version is the ability for graphics to smoothly resize. You're going to see this in the Office 2007 package. As you move things around on the page, if you have an album photo, the album photo will get larger or smaller depending on how much space happens to be available to it. And as you make the album cover larger, the area available for text becomes smaller. Normally there are track numbers to the left of all of the, the musical selections, but if you happen to make the album cover large enough so that the program has to decide whether it has to truncate the title or drop the track number, it does a smart thing. It drops the track number. On balance, the iTunes interface is actually plainer, not fancier, than the Windows Media Player. However, the iTunes interface is probably more functional. So because my primary computer is a Windows machine, I know that I'm always going to need the Windows Media Player installed, and I'll always keep the latest version because the latest version always is most successful with current media files, but it's still not going to be my default 
media player. As far as cats for the Windows Media Player, well, it gets four cats instead of five. It's, it's still beta, and there are still some, some bugs that pop up, but it's free. They have done a good job of not allowing it to take over the entire machine, but still, Apple's iTunes has to be the winner in this category. Now, here's an interesting program segment, Odds and Ends. Some folks would think the entire program is either an odd or an end, or maybe both. But these are items that aren't really newsy enough to be in nerdly news. They're not really long enough to get their own individual segments. So I happen to find three things that struck me as being a little bit interesting this week. July 11th is the last day that Microsoft is going to be supporting the Windows 9 platform. That means Windows 98, Windows 98 Special Edition, Windows Millennium Edition. Support already is gone and has been for some time for Windows 95 and, of course, the, the previous Windows 3.1 and 3.1.1. Microsoft had planned to halt support for the Windows 98 platform back in January of 2004. But enough people made enough noise that they delayed the implementation of this uh, until now just to give users time to upgrade. Well, that didn't work. An estimated 70 million people are still out there using Windows 98. So if you're using Windows 98, uh, there will no longer be updates to that operating system. And a number of other providers, uh, for example, Zone Labs and their Zone Alarm program, have dropped support for Windows 98, Windows 98 Special Edition, and the Windows Millennium Edition. They still support Windows 2000. They support, of course, Windows XP. And if Vista ever ships, they'll support it. Office 2007, I mentioned a few moments ago, has been delayed again. It still will come out in 2007. Microsoft hoped to have it out this year, and some people may be able to see it by the end of the year. Actually, you can download a beta right now if you want to. But Microsoft has announced that the Office 2007 package will probably ship before the end of 2006 to corporate users. If you're a retail purchaser, you go to a store and pick it up off the store shelf. You're probably not going to see that until early in 2007, probably first quarter, maybe January, February. Received an email message the other day. The subject line was Thanksgiving excrement. Well, needless to say, I didn't bother to read it. You see subject lines on spam messages with all sorts of just bizarre combinations of words. Order status... Horatio Obliqua. Well, I didn't read that one either. Or regarding Rokuv, R-O-K-U-V. Spammers just throw random words into subject lines, and they also throw a lot of random words into the body of the message. They do that to fool spam detection software. Well, in my case, it didn't work. All of those had shown up in the spam folder, so I knew I wasn't going to open them anyway. I guess that means I'm at least smarter than the average spammer. Here's another electronic postcard you don't want. Not too long ago, I talked about receiving a postcard that claimed to be from a family member. And before going any further, I knew that that one was a fake, because companies that provide electronic postcards will typically do one of two things. They'll either tell you the name of the person who is sending you the card, or they'll show you the person's email address, and in a lot of cases, they do both. In this case, it just said it was a family member sending me a card. Well, how would it know that someone is a family member if it didn't know the person's name and if it didn't know the person's email address? And if it did know those things, it would tell me those things. So I knew that was a fake right away. I did a little investigation of the message and found that 
This was not a good message uh, to want to open. I'll tell you why in just a moment. This past week, I received another one. Now, the folks who are doing these things are at least getting a little smarter. This one set a pretty good hook. The message itself said that I had received a postcard from someone who cares about me. Didn't name the person. And then it showed me a part of what it said was the message. The message was, Hi there. It has been a long time since I haven't heard about you. I've just found out about this service from Claire, a friend of mine who also told me that. And that's all there was. Now that's a good hook. Advertisers have known about that one for a long time. You start something and you you suspend it right in mid-sentence. If you'd like to see the rest of this message, click here. Boy, I bet a lot of people would see that and click right there. You'll see some some very strange spelling. You'll see some very strange punctuation, the kind of thing that would be done by someone who is not a native speaker of English or perhaps who just isn't too bright. Be that as it may, if you click the link, you go to an IP address. The IP address is 65.98.90.103. Tell you a little bit more about that one in a moment. You're then transferred to a directory, a subdirectory called blind. B-L-I-N-D. And the file that will open when you do that is postcard.gif.exe. It's an executable file. You run this, you probably have just infected your computer. Okay, so the link went to an IP address. I wanted to see who owned that IP address. It came back to an organization called Fortress ITX. appears to be an internet service provider and possibly a hosting company. The next thing I tried was just loading up the IP address into the browser, not the full length of the URL. I didn't want that executable file, but I wanted to see what came up if I actually just went to the website referenced by the IP address. Well, the result was a 404 error, one of those not found things. But at the bottom of the 404 error was the name of the domain that actually was involved here, and that was cutetemplates.com. Well, Cute Templates is a business that's located in Panama. I took a look at the Cute Templates actual website and saw what appears to be a fairly standard website by someone who's offering templates for a variety of different applications. So my conclusion here, Cute Templates wasn't involved in the scam at all. They were just an unwitting victim. Apparently, somebody was able to gain access to their web server, create a directory there, and install the file. The card claimed to be from yourpostcard.com. That domain is not in operation, and it is for sale. So conclusion there is yourpostcard.com, also a victim. And I mentioned earlier Fortress ITX. That's the owner of the IP address that was referenced. Fortress ITX is simply a web hosting company and possibly an Internet service provider. They were also a victim. The postcard's actual point of entry was noonan.com, That's registered to the Noonan Times Herald of Noonan, Georgia. So my conclusion there is a computer at the newspaper had been turned into a zombie and had been sending out these email messages designed to infect other computers and to turn them into zombies. Now this may seem like an awful lot of work, and it it actually was a fair amount of work. It took me about an hour to get all of that information uh, and to get the various screenshots that you'll see on the website which, by the way, is www.techbiter.com. took about an hour to do all that work, but I could have short-circuited the whole thing. The only reason I did the work is just because I thought it would be an interesting program segment and because sometimes I don't have enough stuff to do on a holiday weekend and end up spending some of the time doing a little bit of detective work. Actually, I could have short-circuited the thing immediately because I, I knew based on 
the way the message was written, that it was a fake. And if the first glance at the message didn't give give it away, then simply hovering over the link and seeing that it referenced an IP address that actually ended in an executable file would have been enough. You can't be too cautious when you receive a message with a link. Check it out before you click. Time now for Nerdly News. And we begin with U2 Apple. Microsoft Windows checks in with Microsoft periodically, at least the latest version does, and this greatly annoys some users. Apple, of course, thinks different. However, starting with the just recently released, as in last week, an update to OS X, they're now at 10.4.7, Apple's operating system also now periodically checks in with Apple, and that's annoying some Apple users. Apple calls this service the Dashboard Advisory, and they they refer to it as a service. They say it is designed to keep widgets up to date. They also say that the connection transmits none of your personal data back to Apple, and that's, that's true. So you'd think that if you, for whatever reason, don't like that and you want to turn it off, you just go to System Preferences and turn it off. But no, there is no easy way to turn it off. If this sounds somewhat familiar... You may remember that in June of this year, Apple released iTunes 6.0.2, and there was a mini-store feature that actually was an advertisement that pushed music selections back to the viewer. I would call that advertising. Apple called it a customer service, but then later did provide a way to turn it off. Suits have been filed against Microsoft for its Windows Genuine Advantage program, so Apple could have had a little bit better timing in deciding when to release this version of the operating system with a feature that is similar to what Microsoft does. Not exactly the same, but similar. You can turn off this dashboard advisor if you don't want it. However, it requires using terminal and typing in a fairly long and complicated Unix command that uses the sudo command. Sudo gives the user temporary root privileges, and that's not something that you play around with. If you want to know how to do that, then you're going to have to visit the Apple website yourself. Google is offering a new checkout program, but it's not welcome at eBay. Now, this is sort of odd. Uh, Google recently launched Google Checkout. This is a service that allows people to pay for online purchases. eBay says it isn't welcome. That's, you know, that part maybe isn't too much of a surprise given eBay's relationship with PayPal, but it's interesting that Google was very careful to point out that Checkout would not compete with PayPal, and it isn't actually a bill-paying system. What Google does is it stores the user's credit card and address information and then automatically fills that in. It hasn't taken the additional step of being a payment system that would be in competition with PayPal, but nonetheless, eBay does not want it. eBay also does not welcome NetPay, QCheck's, ePassport, or BillPay. However, we welcome you every week to the Technology Corner. Thanks for listening. This has been Technology Corner for the week of July 9th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn, reminding you to check out the website at www.techbiter.com, and you can also send email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.